1059 The Region, in partnership with REMAX Prime Properties, present On the Market, real estate advice that works for you. Have a real estate question? Call us at 416-335-1059. Tweet us at 1059 The Region or email us at info at 1059theregion.com. This is 105.9 The Region. I'm Tina Cortez with On The Market, York Region's exclusive radio real estate show. Our expert from REMAX Prime Properties is Asif Khan. Good morning, Asif. Good morning, Tina. Now, you have today's first guest and the new tax in B.C. I do. Uh, joining us is Tony Joe. Tony's the host of the radio show, The Whole Home Show in Victoria, B.C., and he's also the owner of REMAX Island Properties. Tony, welcome back to On The Market. Thanks for having me. Always great to be here, Asif. Tony, there's always interesting news coming out of BC, and uh, right now you guys have just announced a 20% tax <laughs> on properties sold within two years of purchasing them. Tell us a little bit more. Well, uh, of course, <laughs> yet again, British Columbia leads the way in the country as far as taxation uh, for things on people. <laughs> uh, yes, this is, this is what's called the BC Home Flipping Tax, this came as a result of the BC budget that was announced uh, last week. And the intention here is to tax people if they sell a property within, as you said, two years. The key here, though, is if somebody sells a property within 12 months, they will be taxed 20% uh, of the, the lift of the profit of the house. Uh, and if it is between uh, 12 months and 24 months, there's a sort of declining scale, you know, where it gets down to zero at 24 months. The intent here, of course, is the provincial government wants to prevent people from profiting from flipping. And, you know, this is something that, uh, of course, we have heard about. We have seen assignments, of course, or things that, uh, that seem to occur every once in a while. That's with pre-sale condos. I know you guys get that a lot in Toronto, right, Azza? Yeah, we do, especially right now. Yeah. yeah. So uh, right now here, when you do that assignment or you flip, the government, the provincial government, is going to get their pound of flesh as well, too. Uh, now, it's important to know that this has not been passed yet, although, as we've seen recently with the provincial government, they do seem to pass things very quickly. So we all feel it's a sort of foregone conclusion. Uh, and when it does pass, it will come into effect on January the 1st, 2025. Now, the, the, the thing to know about that is some people are thinking that means, oh, okay, so I can sell my property, uh, um, you know, if I go to market and if I sell it on January the 1st or whatever, I'll be fine. No, it comes into place on January the 1st, which means that if you had a, if you bought a property this calendar year and you sold it on January the 2nd, you're going to be assessed that tax. So a uh, question that you're going to want to have for your accountant or your lawyer at the time. Uh, there are some exemptions, by the way, folks, which, you know, of course, always have to happen. Uh, exemption examples are things like if it's a separation or a divorce, uh, if it was a death, disability or illness, uh, things like work relocations, uh, job losses. Uh, they say change in household membership. Need to figure out what that means exactly. Uh, personal safety, I find, is an interesting one. And the other one, too, is insolvency. So there are some exemptions there, but... Uh, bottom line is, uh, yeah, the provincial government is hoping that they're going to start reducing the instances of flipping because their hope is to uh, help with affordability in real estate. 
uh, a lawyer friend of ours just the other day said, this is the eighth piece of legislation that British Columbia has had relating to real estate in the past little bit. Um, so, you know, so lots of legislation here. So do you think this one's going to stick? What's your reaction to it? And what's the reaction of your clients? <laughs> uh, well, clients are very interested. I mean, most of the clients that clientele that we serve are people who are not in the flipping business. Now, there are people who are. They run businesses. They get taxed, uh, you know, on their business uh, um, proceeds already anyways. So that is nothing really new. Uh, our, the British Columbia Real Estate Association, the CREA, uh, has made a statement basically saying that uh, it's a tax that really makes no sense because the instances are so small out there anyways uh, that there is virtually no chance that this will have an effect on affordability. Uh, if anything, their concern is it will cause people to want to hold onto the properties for longer, like getting it past that two-year point. And that in and of itself may prevent inventory from hitting the market where it should have been before, right? And Tony, I was going to add, like when I was on, I had the pleasure of being on your show a couple of weeks ago, we talked about inventory levels in BC and Ontario and how we need people to put their homes on the market. This is going to mm-hmm. deter people from putting their homes mm-hmm. on the market. And that's exactly what the uh, British Columbia Real Estate Association has said. In fact, it's a disincentive. And, and the other part of it, too, is, uh, you know, there's, there's conjecture that if there is a tax that is due to be payable, uh, people are going to be selling, but they're going to factor that into their sale. So, you know, the effect there is it could cause properties to be more expensive if sellers are only going to be selling if they're able to offset that tax cost, right? Now, you said this is, what, the eighth piece of legislation that yes. is real estate related. Why is BC sort of the real estate guinea pig for the rest of the country? Yeah, well, you know, they're obviously, well, like in Toronto, I suppose, as well, too. I mean, the, the values have escalated so high. You know, of course, there's been a lot of focus on foreign buyers. we got the foreign buyer tax. we got the speculation of vacancy tax. We've got all of these things, and it's interesting because when we look at it on the outside, seeing all these pieces of legislation that haven't actually done anything, I think a lot of times they're great uh, political moves, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that British Columbia has that is going to be very difficult to control is it just tends to bring people in from other parts of the country. People retire here. They choose to move here and, and uh, you know, live a lifestyle, and there's a cost involved. And, you know, just as you guys are encountering, we don't have enough supply. Give us more supply, and things will probably start slowing down. Just give us more, right? Tony, I'm just doing the math on if a foreign buyer sells a vacant property within two years, they're probably going to owe a lot of money. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> That's right, because a foreign buyer is paying a 20% tax, that's if they can buy, by the way, because the federal uh, foreign buyer ban is still there, right? Um, I will give you some really quick numbers here because it came up. We have the provincial uh, property transfer tax, right? And one of my colleagues made a post talking about the fact that if somebody bought a home for $1.4 million today, they're going to pay a tax of $28,000, if they sell it for $100,000 more next year in 11 months, they're going to pay 20%, which is $20,000. And then that buyer who bought the house, 
is also paying a property transfer tax, so that's $30,000 there. So the provincial government gained $78,000 just from that, tra- that trade and transfer that happens in 11 months. Unbelievable. That's unreal. Tony, yeah. tell us a little bit about what the feeling is with the consumers about this tax. Are there people worried? Is there panic? Or are they just thinking there's so many ways out of this, no one's ever going to pay it? What's the temperature out there? It, it doesn't seem to be uh, really fussing consumers right now because, again, most buyers and sellers are doing, you know, they're moving into their home for five, ten years. It's a long-term plan. And, and as I said, even those that do flip for business, they were already paying business taxes and capital gains anyways. So there's not a real lot of change here. I, I think we're going to start feeling things if it gets to the point where you know what it's like. Every once in a while somebody buys a property, things don't work out. You know, maybe they got to move back uh, to their you know, hometown or whatever, and they got to sell within that you know, 12 months or whatever. That's when things will start kind of uh, uh, coming into the fray here. But presently, no. Uh, we're getting so used to all this legislation that you know, I think we're sort of numb to it now. Tony, I know you speak about all these taxes and legislations on the whole home show. If our listeners want to find out more, how can they get you on the air or online? Oh, well, we podcast, so all six years and 300 episodes worth on iTunes or Google or where all fine podcasts are found, uh, you know, on your um, Android or your uh your car play, you can find us there, the whole home show with Tony Joe. Tony, thanks so much for joining us and look forward to having you on again. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. After the break, inside tech commercial properties. This is on the market on 1059 the region. Stay with us. Need to connect with Asif Khan from Remax Prime Properties? Call him 416-985-Khan. That's 416-985-5426. Or email asif at thehomeshop.ca. Now, back to On the Market on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to On the Market, York Region's radio real estate show. Over to my co-host and our real estate expert, Asif Khan, from Remax Prime Properties with today's next guest, and our focus shifts to commercial real estate. Asif. Thank you, Tina. Joining us is Daniel Fustalio, Leasing Manager of TAC Commercial. Daniel, welcome to On the Market. Thank you. It's a pleasure being here. Daniel, we've heard a lot about what's happening with commercial, industrial, retail space since COVID. Tell us a little bit about what you're finding out there in all three fields. Sure. Well, the, uh, the retail side of it is pretty resilient. Um, you know, prices uh, per square foot are steady. They haven't really gone down. They're actually, you know, going up a bit. So it's uh, it's it's been doing well. The office space, well, that's uh, that's another story. Everybody knows that um, you know there's a lot of vacancy downtown, uptown, and uh, that's starting to get a little better. But still, there's a lot of uh, a lot of vacancy with uh, with office. The uh, the biggest surprise is industrial. Um, industrial space is quite, quite dear these days. Um, they're reaching, prices are almost reaching um, retail rates, very close to retail rates, and some, you know, surpassing some rates that I've seen. Um, and there's not a lot of space out there. Help define that for us a little bit, Daniel. What's the difference between retail space and industrial space? Well, you know, your retail space is your, uh, your commercial plaza. You know, um, fifty, hundred thousand square feet. Usually, your neighborhood uh, type plaza, 
and then you have your little neighborhood plaza, maybe 15, 20,000 square feet, and that you have your typical retail uh, stores, your Tim Hortons, you know, your... Uh, you're, uh, you, know, you have a grocery store, you've got a, um, you know, someone who cuts your hair, a convenience store, things like that. Industrial, of course, is where um, a lot of trades use to store their equipment, trucks, and of course a lot of manufacturing equipment. So, and there wasn't um, that much space developed or created for industrial. It wasn't the... Uh, space that uh, developers wanted to wanted to keep and the cities wanted to uh, develop you know for tax reasons and and for uh, reasons of uh, you know um, it's better that we have more uh, more retail as opposed to more industrial uh, but the space is just so dear these days hmm. and retail is a lot sexier than industrial and and that could be one of the contributors but you seem surprised We're, I'm surprised that there's pretty much zero vacancy in industrial, and we have a lot of people asking us for different types of industrial use. What's the fix? How, how do we get more industrial space? Well, you just need more space. Uh, it's, it's not that difficult. It's pretty simple. Um, a lot of it has been taken up by warehousing, which is really not, it's not productive. You know, you have warehousing, um, and at that point, a lot of uh, landlords love that kind of use. It's quiet, it's clean, you don't have too many issues. Uh, so, that, you know, that kind of uh, space will go up, will be at uh, least very quickly. Um, but that's, that's where it starts. The, the, you know, there's, there's too much space being used for warehousing as opposed to, you know, manufacturing and, and uh, space where, you know, contractors need to do some work, they need to park their trucks, they need to keep their supplies. It's, uh, that's a little, it's not as sexy as, as, we, as, as you said, um, but uh, it's, uh, it's, it's important. Yeah, we often hear that um, the retail sector is dying, mm. that the shopper is shopping online. Are you telling us that retail is still pretty viable out there? It is. It's, I think it's very viable. Um, people are social animals, especially the malls. If you, if you see the malls now, again, I don't know the sales figures in those malls, but if you know, if you go to the mall, you see there's lots of people. Uh, shopping is a social thing. You go with your friends, you do shop, you pick out a few things, you leave, you get something to eat or drink. Um, you still have to pick up your. I think pick up your groceries. I think that people like to choose and pick their own groceries and not someone else for them. Mm -hmm. uh, clothing is another thing, right? Um, shopping online is here to stay, but I think that uh, retail is 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 not going anywhere. Spaces are getting smaller, that's for sure. But I don't think it's going to go. Uh, I haven't seen it anyway. We're we're. Uh, it's not disappearing then. It's not disappearing. No, we we've had a, a few guests on our show, and we've been talking a lot about where are we going to create inventory for residential. And, and a couple of people have stated that they can repurpose office buildings that aren't being used. And you know, as we were speaking offline. There's a lot more that goes into that than just saying, hey, here's an empty building. Let's make it a condo. Well, it's easier said than done. It's great. You know, you have a five-story office building. It's not doing well. Um, let's convert it to residential. Wow, there's a big demand for residential. It's not that simple. Uh, the first thing I can, I can think about, and uh, it's come to my attention, is um, fire codes. Uh, with, even with some uh, uh, office uses. Um, that, uh, you know, there's only certain uses that are allowed. And if you have a, let's say like a driving school that you have so many people in that space at one time, um, hallways have to be bigger. 
than your typical uh, office space. Uh, stairwells going downstairs for fire the fire route has to be they have to be certain widths. So and elevators have to be a certain size. So it's not that easy, and and it's you know it's a retrofit, and retrofits are very expensive. So you don't see all these offices. Oh, let's just convert it to residential. Wow. Okay, <laughs> that's that's that sounds good, and maybe politically it sounds good, but that's very very difficult. Has commercial real estate bounced back from the pandemic? I think it has. Um, you know, it, it was tough there for a lot of retailers, a lot of our retailers. Uh, there was help from you know the federal government uh, with the uh, um, with the program that they that they had. It kept a lot of them in business, which was which was great. I think that uh, with uh, commercial, they're very loyal to their space. If they've done well prior to the pandemic and they were able to stay during, and now they you know they see a recovery, they're going to stay. Um, I don't see a lot of retailers leaving their uh, their retail location. Um, it's uh, it's uh, it's it's not going to go anywhere. And a lot of times with retail, you know, we look at when we're leasing for different clients, we look at the mix in a plaza. TAC Commercial has done a fabulous job with that mix and keeping their plazas thriving. What's the difference and what formula do you use in terms of selecting tenants versus some of these plazas that we see with five out of ten spaces vacant? We see a plaza has to be very vibrant. Right, and what you need is that when someone comes into our into our properties, um, uh, you want them to to go to and to be served by all our tenants, right? And that's an issue, and I can say that's an issue with some grocers. To be example, they want to do everything. They want to be everything to everybody and do everything for everybody. Um, but they're anchors, and then you know they get a special, uh, you know, they do get some special treatment. But it's important to sort of mix and match. Um, you know, you don't want all restaurants. You don't want all uh, office uses. It's sort of, uh, there's no science to it. You sort of got to sit down and it's sort of a gut thing where you say, okay, well, um, you know, I'm going to have three or four restaurants. Well, they got to be different kind of restaurants. And it's very important to um, have, uh, within the lease itself, to have specific uses for those restaurants um, and can't be everything to everybody. There's no science to it. It's sort of, sort of a gut thing to me anyway. Mm-hmm. Well, then tell us a little bit about you, your experience and your work with TAC developments. What exactly do you do? Well, I look uh, after all the leasing of TAC developments, all the commercial, industrial, and uh, office leasing. Uh, we, um, we build and uh, lease out and manage our, our properties. We don't uh, lease out to third parties or um, have third-party managers. So when you have an issue with uh, TAC commercial, um, it's handled right away. Uh, you call head office and you know someone's there to answer your call. And uh, we lack, we really look after you. It comes from the ground up, right? It's from well, from the top down, really, with us. Um, and I, I manage the leases and uh, negotiate the lease terms and renewals as well. Dan, you're certainly a wealth of information uh, in the commercial, industrial, retail field. If our listeners want to connect, if they have more questions about maybe leasing space with TAC, how can they contact you? It's best to con- contact me on uh, my email at uh, dforstalio at uh, tac.com. Awesome. Thanks so much, Daniel. We'll uh, look forward to having you on again. Pleasure. When we come back, your real estate questions. This is On the Market on 105.9 The Region. Stay with us. Need to connect with Asif Khan from Remax Prime Properties? Call him. 
416-985-CON. That's 416-985-5426. Or email ossif at thehomeshop.ca. Now, back to On the Market on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to On the Market. Your questions for Asif Khan are next. And our first one comes from Ricky in Markham. Our four-bedroom home is currently listed, and we've had only one offer worth considering. Asif, do you think house prices will increase in summer, and should we wait for that time? Well, Ricky, it's, it's, a, it's a great question, and it's a, definitely a conversation you should have with your real estate agent. Uh, you know, since you're listed with him, the real estate agent will know exactly what's happening with traffic in the area, how many showings you've had, uh, what type of offers are coming in, and, and also price points. Usually, uh, a house will sell, and there's only three reasons why a house doesn't sell. And we call them the pillars of real estate. So it's price, condition, and accessibility. Accessibility means as long as people can get through the house, uh, you know, when they need to see the place, a lot of people will put restrictions, say, no showings after 5 o'clock or no showings on weekdays or only on Saturday between 10 and 12. And that limits a lot of people that are going to get through. Condition means your house shows very well. You've done the, the proper updates. You've fixed it up. And, and people are walking in and seeing that they can move right in. So that's condition. And then the last thing is price. You want to be priced for today's market value, not what your neighbor sold for last year or uh, you know what you think your home is worth. You want to have the, the proper homework done and make sure that uh, your realtors provided you with actual numbers of what the market value is today. And if all three of those are on, then your house is going to sell. There's there's slow pockets. I mean, with long weekends and snowstorms and things like that, uh, it was a little bit slower and traffic will pick up. There's a lot of people that have been waiting for the next interest rate announcement. And once that uh, comes out, you'll see a lot of people come off the fence and back into the market. So it's going to get busier. Uh, we've already seen multiple offers on, on certain pockets. They're going to be pretty normal right across the board. So it will get busier and prices will climb. So is your advice then for Ricky to sit tight and wait? The next interest rate announcement is coming March 6th. So what do you suggest they do? And is it unusual to have only one offer at this point in this market? No, and it really depends on uh, price point of the home because there, it could be a 4 or $5 million house and there's a limited market. If, if you're in the higher price point, then what happens when the real estate market starts to take off? And that's usually, you know, end of January, beginning of February, it starts to take off and it's all of the first-time buyers that are hitting the market. So the lower end is selling and then you're going to see the mid-range sell and then you're going to see the upper end sell. So it, um, the people that are moving up are waiting to sell their property so they can move up as well. So it depends on the house. And uh, again, Ricky's realtor will be able to guide him a little bit better because he knows the immediate situation. But from a bird's eye view, this is what I'm seeing. The next question also comes from Markham. And this one is from Rama. She wants to know what are the additional selling costs or expenses when closing a real estate deal? Great question, Rama. And uh, again, it depends on if you're closing a pre-construction deal, if you're uh, it's a, a resale, is it a condo? Because there's certain costs that are associated with all three of those different scenarios. So one, you're going to have land transfer tax. So if you're purchasing a home, you're going to have land transfer tax. If It depends on if you're in the 905, if you're in the City of Toronto, because City of Toronto has a double land transfer tax. So you want to make sure that... Uh, 
you have enough money for that land transfer tax. The other thing is legal fees. And legal fees are pretty, they, they usually range between, I would say, $1,000 and $2,000, depending on if the lawyer is discharging a mortgage. You also have different fees that are included in, in the legal charges, which would be for... Uh, insurance and things like that. So you want to make sure that all of those are detailed from your lawyer. And finally, if you're buying a pre-construction, you're going to have development charges, you're going to have levies that you have to pay. So you want to read the contract very thoroughly to make sure you know how much of that is coming up. And then if you're renting out a pre-construction property uh, that you're closing, you may also be on the hook for the HST upfront, and then you can claim that back. So again, if I, uh, if, I can, if you want to contact me, give me the details of what you're purchasing, where you're purchasing, I'll be able to give you a better idea of what your closing costs would be. So your suggestion then for Rama is work with an agent and help identify those costs before going in. Yes, definitely. Your agent would be able to help you with uh, exactly what you have to come up with and also the mortgage broker and the lawyer as well. So everyone works in a team to make sure that you're up to date as to what you have to bring in. And share as much information as possible, right? Never do anything in isolation. Exactly. You know, it, you're all on the same team. So you want to make sure that everyone is aware of everything that's going on. You don't want any surprises uh, because that's going to result in a lot of stress at the end. As a reminder, if you have questions for On The Market, hit send anytime to info at 1059theregion.com. But also, if our listeners prefer to contact you directly, how can they do that? Best way is to call me on my cell, 416-985-CON. That's 416-985-5426. If you missed any part of our show, go to 1059theregion.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. I'm Tina Cortez for Asif Khan. Thank you for listening. Need to connect with Asif Khan from Remax Prime Properties? Call him, 416-985-Khan. That's 416-985-5426. Or email asif at thehomeshop.ca.